Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at possibly one of the most well-known and prolific killers in true crime history. It's Ted Bundy. The big one, the big boys. Welcome to playing with the big dog. I'm, I'm scared for this one because it's such a big, well-known case, and probably most people listening to this will know the Ted Bundy story. Yeah, I feel like even people that don't do true crime will have at least heard of Ted Bundy. Yeah, because you've got like extremely bad and shockingly vile, or whatever it was called. Oh yeah, that film that I wanted to watch. I, I couldn't find it. Zac Efron Disney played him. Plus. Is, oh, is it Disney Plus? I was looking in the wrong place. There's so many documentaries on Ted Bundy. He's quite a, what would you say, a cult figure? Yeah, I think, you know what I yeah, mean? Like in a, the same way that Jeffrey Dahmer is. Yeah, yeah he's like, like he's a, a big... A cult, yeah, a cult figure. It's interesting because he was he was around about the time as Jeffrey Dahmer, as John Wayne Gacy. Like during the 70s in America was a pretty scary time. Serial killers were on the loose here, there and everywhere. Everyone was lucky to make it out alive. I know. The Night Stalker was the 70s as well. Yeah, there was like shit going on in LA, all over the place. And it's very in context for how people were feeling at the time. But anyway, I am hoping that I do the story justice. There was a lot to sift through there was just a lot to look at. I immersed myself as much as I could. But you know what? It's our take. It's Devils in the Dark take on Ted Bundy. So I believe in you. And also, I don't know about you, but like when I do my episodes, I think now we don't have a producer and it's just the two of us. Yeah. I really miss having that third person to be able to be like, is this okay? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, so, I feel like we're, 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 we're crossing the road without holding our mum's hand. Yeah, now. that's exactly <laughs> it. But obviously, you know, we are the whole point of this podcast is that we're two best friends entering the world of true crime so it's learning for us as well like I know of Ted Bundy but I didn't know exactly what he did so this is yeah. really fun for me to actually get the details of who he was I've only actually seen a little bit of that Zac Efron film I can't remember why it was on the telly but it was but I was like "Ooh, I like his sweater but I didn't know what I was watching so <laughs> <I> like his sweater <laughs> yeah oh, what a nice shade of orange he's wearing <laughs> yeah didn't know what I was watching though I am excited for this obviously it's not exciting but it's it's a big deal in terms of true crime world yeah, but you're excited about being interested in it. Yeah. It's something interesting, isn't it? I have accidentally just had a really look down at the script. What? And I am so stressed. You've written it all in capitals. I know. I like. I love capital letters. Sh- Helen's going to be shouting at you for the next hour because it's all in capitals. I'm yeah. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> anyway, quickly, what, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I feel like we could just get into... So I I was saying to Helen in the car on the way here, I've got really bad mum brain and I forget things all the time and I forget all my words all the time. So I've started, when I have ideas, when I'm like, when I'm thinking about things, which is often, I just write it in my phone now. (laughs) I've got a little, I get a little document of things that I can talk to you about. We actually had a stressful morning, haven't you? Because you couldn't get McFly tickets. Oh, I've been trying to get McFly tickets. They went on sale at 10 and we record at 10 and I was trying in the car, but I couldn't remember my login. And then by the time I'd sorted it all out, they were all gone. 
And I spilt coffee in my... Helen tried to kill us several times on oh, the way here. You know what it, it is? It's a miracle. I am dressed like a proper soccer mum today. I've got... I'm still wearing my gym gear. I've got a baseball cap that says, this girl needs a margarita. Or get this... What does it say? That's exactly what it says. Yeah, and I'm driving... I drive a white SUV and I really felt that I'd just dropped the kids off at soccer practice. And I was just driving like a terrible driver. Like, I don't want to say driving like a woman because I fucking hate that. Yeah, because I'm an excellent know, driver, and you know, and also women. we're not into sexism here and and stereotyping. Because fuck out, you know, we're, women are great, but um, I was really playing up to the stereotype today, wasn't I? Oh yeah, there's a man in a van. I think <laughs> I, I genuinely thought it might chase us down. Oh yeah, but I also had no petrol. My range was oh. zero. So she picks us up. She's like, I've got ten miles, but it says zero now. <laughs> had ten miles when I left the house. But it doesn't say 10 anymore. It just says, it just doesn't say anything. And I was like, right, well, shouldn't we go to the petrol first? She's like, nah, it's fine. We'll get coffee. And then worst comes to worst, we will just push the car to the petrol station. Because it's not far away. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I signed. There's my car. We're sat outside my house and my car's right there with three quarters of a tank. Oh, I live on the edge. You know this. Stress. I know. Do you want to know what's top of my um, podcast catch-up chats? Go on then. Go back to the list. Who decided the moon is made of cheese? (laughs) What did you think of that? I don't know. It was Wallace and Gromit. They found out that it was made of cheese. Yeah, but did they decide it? Because I think it was when you're a kid, the moon's made of cheese. Yeah. Who decided? Who started that rumour? I reckon it was a big marketing ploy. Baby bells. Baby bells. Oh, my God. That's why it's called the moon, because cows moo. Moon. (laughs) (laughs) It's made of cheese, because they made it out of cow milk. Right, we're back to it. I went through this in season two, and I got a little bit of flack for it. Cows cannot be trusted. They're sentient. They know what they're doing, and they're coming for us. They've invented the moon, which we all know is actually a giant superstructure and it's hollow and it's just housing loads of aliens inside and the moon landing wasn't real. We don't all know that. That's a conspiracy. I have a lot of time on my hands. Anyway, anyway, okay, cool. We'll save the rest of that list for another time. Yeah. The wonders of Danny's brain. I'm sorry. I get very tired. It's I don't okay. that's not a, you know, I think we, we really set ourselves up I on actually, a high with the crane chat, didn't we? No, and I just feel like I don't always... even think you can put a lot of these thoughts down to just being a mum anymore because mine is exactly the same. I'm actually gonna start a video diary every time I get a strange thought just to ask just to do a little self little vloggy thing to it and then make a big, you know, thing. I'd watch that. Yeah. So um anyway. It's Ted Bundy. It's the middle of the night at Florida State University in January 1978. A man breaks into campus and attacks four women. He violently beats them, cracking skulls, breaking collarbones and knocking teeth out before raping and then killing two of them. He leaves bite marks on the bodies before escaping. For a man that had been successful at this point of murdering over 40 women, little did he know that this signature move would be his downfall. So let's go back to the start, shall we? 1946, Theodore Robert Bundy was born on the 24th of November at the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers in Burlington, Vermont. That's depressing, isn't it? I know. There was an actual place for women who had children out of wedlock. 
That's just... Well, because they're unclean, aren't they? Unclean. It was 1940s America, so to put it into perspective, everything was kind of white picket fence perfect. The ideal was like a family unit, two parents and two children. You know, you can already picture that sort of image of how families should be. So that was stigmatised, even the fact that she had a baby out of wedlock in one of those hospitals. So she was 22 years old and moved back to her parents' home in Philadelphia, where her parents brought up Ted as their own. So he was adopted initially by his grandparents and was told that his mother, Eleanor, was his sister. Oh. Yeah. EastEnders invented that. I know. <laughs> Let me get there. Okay. No, really. <laughs> right. Okay. This went on for four years before Eleanor, his mother, moved to Washington and married Johnny Bundy in 1951. And they formally adopted Ted when he was just five years old. They had four children together, but Ted did not form a close bond of his new family and still believed his mother was his sister. Oh, okay. So, I mean, kind of understandable. Yeah, like he's being raised by his sister and these are his, Yeah, you know, yeah. what would they be? Nephews Nieces and nephews. Yeah. Ted was quite embarrassed by his poor background and his upbringing and his sort of social class or status in society. So he tried really hard at school to be a bright student Apparently, even though he was out there and getting involved in things with other children, he was still a little bit outcast because he wasn't that good at doing things. Like, he wasn't very good at athletics. Like, he wasn't very good at camp, like doing things like tying knots in rope and getting hands on. So even though he was kind of getting involved, he was still a little bit like, oh, you know, that's Ted. But he was a bright kid because he was making so much effort. He wanted to be more than what he came from, essentially. In 1966, he enrolled at the University of Washington to initially study Chinese. So there, he met and fell in love with a girl called Stephanie. Her actual name is Diane, but apparently her name Stephanie was a pseudonym. Oh, okay. For, like, for other, like, texts. That was quite a thing, like, back then, wasn't yeah. it? Like, both my grandmothers, or my great-granny... And my grandma, mm. they both went by Babs. But like my great granny, her name was Amelia. Oh, okay. Why are you Babs, granny? What's going on? I don't know. This is to do with a pseudonym that was used in a book. So Stephanie was her pseudonym name in a book, whereas Diane, oh. Diane Edwards was her actual full name. Oh, okay. yeah. When you say Diane, mm. all I hear in my head is Diane. Yeah. <laughs> From you, telling, from you telling the dog off. I know. It's really hard to People laugh at me for having a dog called Diane. But then I laugh at people called, being called Diane because I'm like, I just picture a little naughty sausage dog. Diane! Diane! <laughs> but she was the woman of his dreams. Um, he wanted to marry her, spend the rest of his life with her. She, he was gorgeous. But she dumps him because he's not ambitious enough. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So then this feeds into his insecurities about his social class and not being good enough. This is quite right. a, a thing for Ted, this insecurity of where he came from and just not being good enough. Noticing a trend. Yeah. Resentment grows a bit. So he drops out of uni in 1968 and returns to the East Coast because obviously Washington is right over there in the West. And then he goes back to Philadelphia, which is in the East, isn't it? But he goes home and whilst he's at home, he unearths 
the family secret. Oh and this is where you get the cat slater moment. You're not my mother. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. I would actually like to say, so one of my sources said that this is when he found out, but another source said he found out when he was 14, when he went for a draw and found his original birth certificate and it said, dad, unknown. Oh. Right. So I'm not entirely sure on which, at which point he found out, but let's just go with this when he went back, you know, he found out right now. He's just been dumped by the woman of his dreams and he's just found out his mum or his sister has been lying to him his whole life. And his experience his of women is either abandonment or just being lied to. So he's not had a particularly positive experience with women up to this point. Uh-oh. Women can't be trusted in Ted's eyes. I wouldn't say he was like full of rage towards women at this point, but he's not had particularly good experiences because he's quite like... The seed is planted. The seed is there. At 22, he returns west to the University of Washington and he enrolls as a psychology major. There he met and dated a single mother called Elizabeth. Listening to the Ted Bundy tapes, he was absolutely like wowed by Elizabeth. He loved her so much and they had a very long relationship. But yeah absolutely loved Elizabeth and she stood by him well we'll get on later on in the story but she had no idea about what he got up to but they had quite a solid relationship and he helped raise her child but anyway in 1971 he gets a job at Seattle's suicide hotline crisis number because he wants to be seen as a respectable young man that gets involved with the community and does good things and um, he wants to help people. You would kind of say maybe he wanted to be a pillar of society in the community. So he wants to do good by that. Just give himself a good reputation. It's a pretty good cover. Yeah. Oh, well, I couldn't possibly be a murderer. Yeah. Uh, or harbouring like murdery thoughts because I'm helping people who want to kill themselves. Yeah. Actively helping people not die. Yeah, I know. When he graduated uni... He joined the Republican governor's re-election campaign. So not only is he doing things to help people, but he's now getting involved with like politics and the government. And he's looking pretty, like a pretty good guy. Like, oh, Ted. Oh, damn. He's getting involved. Like, he's getting up there. He was also a very charismatic... He's getting I up there. You I just get, did a little shake. I did a little a shake. Little, a little titty shake. <laughs> I did. Oh, no, don't. Oh, God. He's getting up there. He's get, But, like, also... Ted, I like the energy you're bringing to this. What, today? Yeah. I think it's because I've got my hat on. My hat is bringing the energy. Bad driving and energy. He uh, is a good-looking guy. He's very charismatic. He's very smart. He's ticking some boxes. So that's the one thing I know about Ted Bundy, is yeah. that he was this gorgeous guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw a picture of him, not actually on purpose looking for it. It just popped up because uh, my phone is always listening to me, I think. Yeah. And I... No, I mean, maybe, let's put it. He probably was me. He was probably really fit in the 70s, but yeah. I looked at him and thought he needs an eyebrow wax. He's got a monobrow. He looked really old for his age. That's what I What's thought. And I thought, is this like an old picture? But no. So, but maybe that's it. Because, you know, sometimes you see an older man and you're like, oh, you could teach me things. Look after me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Dilf. <laughs> yeah. Dilf vibes. Dilf yeah, vibes. that's exactly but, it. Yeah. Dilf. I know. But no. I don't. I, I mean, he definitely had charisma. Because there's lots of footage of him being interviewed for, especially before he was going down for being a bad guy, but before when he was getting involved with, you know, the election stuff, 
yeah. the campaigning, he's doing a lot of chat. That's the scariest and thing And it's like, me. oh, yeah. yeah. Even if he's not your type, he could probably even still ease, like, ease you in with his charm and his the way he just speaks. He's just very... Talk you out of your pants. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which I think actually makes him one of the most terrifying it's, serial killers yes. ever because he's so unsuspecting and just the way he handles himself. But anyway, we'll get there. We'll get to that bit. Yeah, so I'm just setting the scene. In 1973... He was then accepted into law school at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, which was 30 miles south of Seattle. It's all in the same area. So he's basically doing things to make himself seem more socially acceptable, successful, ambitious, an all-around great guy. So, you know, he's done university a couple of times, law school, campaigning with governors, doing work in the community. He's looking pretty good. So before he started law school, he made a trip to California there, he rekindled his relationship with Stephanie, or Diane, despite still dating Elizabeth. Oh, Ted. He's looking better in her eyes now. He's ticked all oh, the boxes. Yeah. He's successful. She didn't want... He lacked ambition. Yeah. God, now he's doing everything. Now he's doing all the things. They got engaged. Him and Diane? Yeah. Oh, so she was really excited for the wedding and just as it was all seemingly being this glorious, exciting time for both of them, out of nowhere, he dumps her. He's in the control now. He's Has he the, done that on purpose? He, He's, I don't know. Perhaps. I bet he did. It seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, just to be He's like, now in the driver's how seat. How do you like it now, Diane? He's got the control. Yeah. In the driver's seat. Yeah. Okay, I see where you're going with this. Well, I don't, but I'm loving it. Mm -hmm. So at 27, he returns to Washington, and this is where it takes a turn. So does he still have his mistress in Washington as well? His girlfriend is Elizabeth. While he was engaged to die? Yeah, she had no idea. Wow, Liz. Yeah. Also, let's quickly... That shit would just never happen now because we're so connected to each other via our phones. You just know what we're all doing. Well, no, you'd be surprised. I mean, okay, I take that back. I retract that. But, like, he went off to California for how long? Would you not be like, when are you coming home? You've been ages. Well, yeah, you would. But I guess if he's, like, being scholarly or political, you know, maybe he's saying... I've got the job, I've got to go back to do this part of work or whatever, Mm. and there's a plausible excuse. I had a friend who will remain unnamed. She started dating a guy from Birmingham, right? Mm. And it all seemed really nice. He would drive up all the time, rah, rah. And then three, four months in, turns out he's got two ex-wives and four kids back in Birmingham. No idea. She had no idea. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. And, like, that's what, what's Birmingham, like, 100-ish miles? Yeah, but, you know, in the 70s, you can get away with this stuff. Because there's literally well, that's nothing. what I'm saying. He got away with it in 2022. Yeah. Okay. I just think for Elizabeth's sake, like, I'm like, why? Where are you? you coming home? Yeah. <laughs> You've been well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, if we're getting married, but maybe it was more common back then. I don't know. I don't know. Just bugger off for like months on end. The long distance. Yeah. I, mean, I guess people go offshore. Don't yeah. They? It's true. Like, are you ready? Buckle up. Midnight, January fourth, 1974. He broke into the basement apartment of an 18-year-old dancer and uni student. She was asleep and he beat her with a metal pole and he raped her. It left her unconscious for 10 days. Oh, my God. She was not in a good way. She had sustained terrible injuries, including internal organ damage from where he had sexually assaulted her using the metal pole. (gasps) 
Oh my god! Yeah, people think that it came out of the blue, but he had a history of looking through women's windows and watching them get undressed. So it is said that the desire gradually builds, and it's not enough for him. So he needs to take it to another level. Now, actually, when I was listening to the Ted Bundy tapes, the guy that was recording him, the reporter, the way he got Ted to talk was to get Ted to talk about his life as though it was from a third party, like how he would think someone like Ted would have been raised. For example, he was saying about someone that may have interest in sexual desires, sexual violence, or like extreme sexual interests, you know, like... Mm bondage and kind of you know what I mean yeah and that those desires would build and build and build and build until he needs to do something about it and he would think this will fulfill those urges and then the next time okay maybe this time will fulfill those urges and we'll just keep going and going and going and that's how Ted described it which was kind of interesting that rather than saying I did this or this is how I felt he was maybe they felt like this and they probably felt like this because of that. Uh, and it was a really interesting... If you haven't listened to that, that's on, on Netflix, did, the, the tapes. I did start watching the Ted Bundy tapes Yeah, when it was released. It was. It's like, really interesting to hear ago, it from the way he talks about it. But yeah, so he's obviously had these sexual urges and desires for quite some time, from an early age, and that is when he decided to take a turn. We've said before, where did that come from? Or why? This time we can actually know. Yeah. That is interesting. It's very interesting. It's not, it doesn't make it any more palatable, does no. it? But like, yeah, it didn't just come from nowhere. In a way it did, because it's sort of obviously just that time yeah. pushed him over the edge. I think it's always a case of why would you do something like that? And that is yeah. why it's not justifiable. No. But you get some context as to you need a reason. It's like getting closure. Yeah. Isn't it? You need that closure as to why something's happened. And it kind of explains it, but still, you know, it's awful. Yeah. But anyway, just one month later, he struck again when he broke into the room of 21-year-old university student Linda, where he severely attacks her and bashes her skull and it kills her. That's a hard hit. That is. He moves her body away from campus and he dumps her body in the Taylor Mountain Forest. Her body was found a year later in 1975. But this was just the start. So he would hang out at Washington State University and lure women into his car saying that he needed assistance. And he'd often wear a sling when he was doing this to make it look like he had an injury. So he would do it around the university campus, but he's also done it other times. It's like, so calculating, isn't it? Yeah. Like he's, he already knows that he's charismatic and charming, but then by sort of adding that element injuring of, himself, yeah. oh, well, you know, he's immediately less threatening. Yeah, I want to help this nice guy because he's really nice and charismatic. But what's he going to do? He's only got one arm. Exactly. So it's quite a deadly concoction there. In his tan VW Beetle, he would take women to a remote spot. Then he would beat them, often with a blunt object. He'd bludgeon them. Then he'd strangle them, often rape them as well. So, yeah. So after eight murders in the first six months of 1974... Sphere spread across the Northwest, as you could imagine. And also, like we previously said, the context, the 70s was like the prime time for serial killers. So everyone was on high alert. So regardless of knowing that everyone was like scared, he decided to get a bit bold and he decided to attack in broad daylight. 
On July 14th at Lake Lake Sammamish State Park, Bundy attacked two young women. So this was like lots of going on there. There was loads of people sunbathing. There was like bands playing. There was, you know, food stalls. It was a big sort of gorgeous event in the summer. First of all, it was 23-year-old Janice and 19-year-old Denise. So he kidnapped both women within a few hours of each other. He raped them both. Then he made one of them watch whilst he murdered the other. Oh, God. He disposed of their bodies two miles away. It is reported that he spent time with bodies. He'd, like, wash their hair, paint their fingernails. Oh. I'm not sure if, like, how... So it's almost like he's forming the emotional attachment with them afterwards when they can't yeah. reject him or when they can't yeah. abandon him. That's what Elizabeth Yardley said. Is in it? The do- in the documentary, yeah. In September 1974, he left Washington and left to go to Salt Lake City. He'd been accepted at law school at the University of Utah. At this point, he felt like he was in his prime. He was charming, smart, good-looking. He could change himself to be exactly what he needed to be. He was enticing, a dangerous combination, and he was getting away with it. He's a predator. He really is. An apex predator at this point. He really is, isn't he? That's, yeah, and when you put it in like that kind of term, it's very scary, isn't it? Definitely. He's like a vampire. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, because vampires are always um, sexy depicted as, yeah, like they become very good looking to entice their prey. And it's all like about luring and they're charming and they can do, you know, in some tropes, they can do the persuasion thing. Yeah, I'm just thinking of interview with a vampire where they're just outrageously good looking. Yeah, can't go outside though in the no. day. No, but Ted Bundy, it's it's mad when you watch him and videos. He was so fucking charming and like good on camera, good at talking to people. If you met him, you'd be like, what a nice guy. Oh yeah, I like him. And that's just so terrifying. Charm is so incredibly powerful. It is. Isn't it? It definitely is. I mean, it is like, a skill. It's Yeah, and it's terrifying. If when it's wielded with dark intent. Yeah. Because I always say, like, my advice to anybody going for a uniform, for a, a uniform, fucking hell, a word. A univer- an interview? Yes. An interview. <laughs> charm the pants off them. It's, I'll just be really charming. Just yeah. be charming. And that's what I'll say to myself. Like, if I'm going into something that I'm going to be nervous about or like an interview or whatever, I'm like, it's fine. Just be charming. Mm. And it gives you power. Like, yeah, Definitely. He first killed in Utah October 2nd, 1974, and his victim was just 16 years old and her body was never found. Then, a survivor. (gasps) So, Rhonda Stapley, a pharmacy student, was waiting for a bus. She'd just been to the dentist. Her face was feeling a bit numb, so she was waiting for a bus and she was feeling a bit fed up. Her bus wasn't coming. It was taking ages. So She'd all been there. Yeah, and she just wanted to get home because her face was throbbing. Anyway, so a bus didn't turn up, but someone else did in a tan VW. No. So he offered her a ride and he told her he was a law student and, he, you know, he was a good-looking, nicely-dressed guy and it was the 70s and people just got in each other's cars all the time. Yeah, hitchhiking everywhere. Yeah. So she got in. I mean, he's a law student. He's good-looking. Why would you... Well, yeah, you and you're think, desperate to get hurt. Yeah, and you wouldn't think anything of it because he's a guy that's with the law, you would think, because he's studying it, right? So she gets in the car and they drive a few blocks and he says, I hope you don't mind, I have a short errand to run. 
and the car takes a turn and he drives her to Big Cottonwood Canyon. At this point, she must have been thinking, what the fuck, right? He stopped talking to her at a point and he just had his hands on the steering wheel. So she was probably a bit night nervy. What was going through her brain though at the time is maybe he's just trying to find somewhere to pull over and we can make out. You know, he's oh. he's a bit nervous perhaps. Yeah. Right? Fair play to her, mate, Yeah, Because she's just had dental work. Yeah. Done, and she's like... <laughs> My teeth are ready. Yeah, My but mouth I'm is like, fresh. I will make, if you want to make out, I'll make out. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Very clean in there. Yeah. Right? He parks the car in a secluded picnic area. And he leans in really close to her face and she's thinking, he's going to kiss me. But instead, he says, do you know what? I'm going to kill you. Oh, God. And he puts his hands around her throat and starts to strangle her and she falls unconscious. When she wakes up, she's laying on a picnic table outside and he is sitting on her. He's got knees on her chest, right? And she says to him, get off, I can't breathe. So he lifts his body weight off her chest, but instead covers her nose and mouth so she can't breathe. And she keeps falling in and out of consciousness. And he's he's taking a lot of pleasure by watching her falling in and out of consciousness because he is fully in control of the situation. On the last time she regains consciousness, luckily he's actually stood just by the car. So she takes her chances and she fucking runs for it in the opposite direction. Good for her. So you might not think this is luck, but she actually falls into the Canyon River. It's not deep, but it's really fast. And that just sweeps her off right down the way. And she's like being, she's being bashed about the boulders and stuff. And it's probably quite painful, but she's getting way out of the way. Yeah, quicker getaway than on foot. And he's not going to follow her, is he? No. She manages to get out and she walks home. And this next part is actually really upsetting, but... Because of her religious stance and upbringing, she kept her attack from Bundy a secret for 30 years because they believed if you had a choice between losing your life or your virtue, it would be better eternally if you lost your life over losing your virtue. But she didn't. Oh, well, she might have. She didn't know. She had lost. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, oh, that heart breaks You have to live with that for so long. And she'll be feeling all kinds of shame and yeah. that she really doesn't deserve to feel. Because she was brought up like that. I know I shouldn't go deep down too far into the kind of feminist route because this might not be true, but whatever religions believe in those kind of things, you can definitely tell a man wrote that rule in the rule book, right? Yeah. Oh, I feel, Again, that really it, and then it also ties into victim blaming as well. Yeah. You know, like that was your fault that you got into a car with a man. You know, you can totally see those things probably throwing around her own head. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have got in a car with him. This is my fault. Yeah, but it's not. I know. Poor women. To have to live with that for 30 years. Yeah. Like, just knowing. I know. I remember once, like, my dad's family are very religious, Mm -hmm. very Catholic. Right. And my granddad, I was speaking to my granddad on the phone once. I was, like, 13. Okay. And it was my birthday or something like that. I get on well with them, but like I know that it was always like a thing because um, for my 10th birthday, for instance, I decided not to go down the Holy Communion route 
I didn't want to. Okay. Mum let me make the choice. Right. He wasn't a big fan of that. So for my 10th birthday, he sent me all the way from Australia to Croydon, a compendium of 10,000 Catholic puzzles and a floppy disk game about the journey of Moses. But you were well chuffed with like, that, weren't okay. you? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but we had oh this phone God. conversation. I think I was about 13, 14. And at the end, before we said bye, and he was like, and I hope that you're living well and that your virtue is still intact. And that. And I had no fucking idea what he was on about. So I was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> then, yeah. And then I hung up my bye, granddad. And um, mum was like, what was that? At the end, I was like, oh, he said, asked me about my, something to do with my virtue. And I thought it was like to do with morals. Yeah. I was like, is he just asking if I'm a good person? She went, oh my God, please just tell me you said yes. And I was like, well, yeah, I did. But what is it? What? And she's like, he's asking you if you're still a virgin. And I was like, what the fuck? No! Why is that? He's doing that, granddad. And, um, Gross. Yeah. Not okay. <laughs> so, yeah, and I was just like, okay. Uh, you know, I never really thought much of it. But actually, I think that's a similar thing. I'm quite glad I was sort of separated from that. Yeah. But, like... I can see how, Ooh, like, if people it? are that involved, yeah, you would lie or you would. It's not your fucking business, Granddad. Yeah. <laughs> like he wasn't. He just like you know, it's not coming from a bad place. No, I like, know, wants, I know, like, I know. But it's just weird. You, it's is an odd. Like it's not coming from a bad place, but it's just odd that that's okay think, to ask. That yeah, because in his mind, he's just making sure that I'm in the best place to go to the Holy Land or whatever <laughs> if shit goes down. Because obviously, you know, I don't have my one-way ticket because I didn't mm. get confirmed. Mm-hmm. I'm so. just thinking about my virtue. That's been gone for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Your virtue's in fucking tatters. It's in flames. <laughs> oh. Okay, anyway, back to Nobody it. should have to defend their virtue. No, no. A long no, way no. of saying that. Yes. yes, yes. But in this case, yes, she should because that was taken from her and without her consent. Absolutely. She did defend her virtue. It just wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later, in November 1974, Bundy was strolling around a mall in Murray dressed as a police officer. How does this happen? So often we hear this, he's posing as a police officer. He was posing as this. Do they just leave these costumes lying around? Like, where did he get? How did he? How? Think of a sketch of him knocking out a police officer and then going into the janitor club cover yeah, to change like over. Like, <laughs> like on Hitman. Yeah. But he managed to basically entice an 18-year-old telephone operator called Carol, who he had plans for. No. Basically, he went up to her and said, there's been a report that someone's been trying to break into your car. She goes out to the car with him and he says, can you please tell me if anything is missing from the car? And she's like, No. My car looks fine. There's nothing missing. And he says, well, the guy's been taken down to the police station. Do you want to come down and press charges? And she's like, can you prove that you're a police officer? Because it's just being quiet. Ah, you know, he has a badge. Like, Fuck's sake. You know, he manages to flash a badge. So she gets in his car and then they drive. But you can't even defend against that, can no. you? Like she's done, have you got idea? Yeah. yeah. And they pull up on the side of the road and that's when, you know, shit gets nasty. And she manages to get away as well. She fights for her life and she is a tough cookie, as it were. Do you think that he he's not sort of as prepared for women to fight back? Yeah, I know that she did get beat quite bad, but in this instance she did manage to get away. He is Good. known for being a strong man, but she did manage to get away this time round. 
So it's November the 8th now and Bundy kidnaps 17-year-old Deborah as she left the theatre. She was never seen again. And you know what is mad this entire time? He's still seeing Elizabeth in Seattle. I guess she's really separate from it. So she won't even be seeing like the local news about missing women and things like that. So at this point, he wasn't on the police radar. But obviously, after the incident by the lake in the summer, where he decided to act in daylight, the police were on the lookout for a, a man named Ted that drove a beetle after there were actually numerous witnesses that day. So he was out and about. And he was, you know, doing his thing and people kind of knew he was... They heard of a guy called Ted and he drove a Beetle. That was... And Beetles are quite a recognisable car, yeah. isn't it? Yes, but it's mad because the police really had it hard because when you look at how many registered Beetles were in the area, it was about 40,000 yeah. at the time. <laughs> and a lot of Ted's. So they did make a sketch based on what witnesses have said and it was broadcast all over national television. So this was seen by... Drum roll, please. Elizabeth. Oh. Oh, no. So she called the police. At first, they dismissed it because he was a law student. Wait, so they dismissed it because he's a law student. Like, oh, sorry, ma'am, but did you say he was a law student? Well, that couldn't possibly be him because he's a law student. He knows the law. That's what was said. Fucking pricks. Yeah. So he's now free again. He raped and killed three young women in Colorado. He assaulted a 12-year-old child in Idaho. In June, he returned to Utah and killed a 15-year-old girl. But then, two months later, he was driving quite erratically through a residential area and it called the attention of a highway patrol officer. They pull him over and they notice a bunch of weird shit in his car. Crowbar, ice pick, ski mask. But because Ted has the power of charm... He was able to come up with explanations for a strange array of items. And although suspicious, they did not have enough evidence for the murders that were currently in question at the time. Bear in mind, his face sketch is still circulating and they know he drives a town beetle. So there's lots of speculation going around. So they're just trying to pin a murder to him, but they can't because there's not enough evidence. Right, yeah. Because you know, so it's all in the news. It's probably this guy, yeah. but he doesn't have a dead body in his boot. Exactly. He have, like, there's, like, there's he's no got, visible blood. Yeah, we've got women going missing. There's reports coming in from witnesses so it's kind of all up in the air at the moment but they can't do anything because there's nothing there. I wonder how he explained away the items. I know. Like Like, oh yeah ice pick um in California. Yeah right. I I go rock climbing ice wall climbing. And I just love I love ice. I love ice. The ski mask is just for when the sun is really blazing and yeah shades don't do the trick. Don't your face get cold? Yeah. So following this, police flew out to Washington to interview Elizabeth, right? Because they're like, hmm, he is. We are suspicious. So they go out to interview her. And she tells them of strange items that was found in their apartment, including a meat cleaver and a bag of women's clothing and apartment keys. I'm sorry, meat cleaver can kind of explain that if he you know maybe he's he enjoys to cook meat Mm -hmm. but a bag of women's clothing and apartment keys why would you not have questions about that like yeah that's weird that's that's more than weird that's more than weird it's very strange for someone to find if if i had a partner 
If I had a partner, where's my violin? That's fine. It's fine. If I found a bag of women's clothes and keys and a meat cleaver all in one place under one roof in which I was also living, I would be very concerned. Very concerned. I've actually had previously like kind of crazy moments when I've seen a pair of knickers that I don't recognise and I think, who the fuck are these knickers? And then I remember they actually are mine. (laughs) Yeah. I had that. I did find a pair of like size eight jeans in my right. house once. And I was like, I've never been a size eight. Why are these jeans in my house? And then like stewed on it for like a minute. And then was like, oh, yeah, my sister. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. rattling us popping out again. Rawr. So this is where it starts to go downhill for Ted. And he's a bit wild. He decides to sell his beetle and the police locate it. And they find strands of survivor Carol's hair and from two other women amazing they find him and arrest him and put him in a lineup that's where you get other people and they hold the boards you know I know what a lineup is just, just if anyone didn't know what a lineup was because you could think it was like line dancing or something you know but they put him in a lineup you could they call Carol in and she identifies him that's him as they didn't have enough evidence to convict him of all the murders that were going on at the time you know, all the missing ladies. He stood trial for Carol's abduction and assault. On the June 30th, 1976, he was sentenced to serve 15 years and was eventually moved to the Garfield County Jail in Colorado. This is where it gets wild. Just as police were gathering evidence to charge him of a murder of a 23-year-old woman, he decides that he wants to be his own lawyer. Why do they always do this? There's a sense of hubris, isn't there? I know. But we he's... even had this last week with the vamp. Yeah. He decided to be his own lawyer. But you know, Ted Bundy was a law student as well, oh, though. Yeah, so of he was he like, was. this actually you know, kind of makes sense. Okay. He's like, I can represent myself because I know it. And they give him access to the law library of the jail. Right. Okay. So, no. It had a window that he escaped from. <laughs> I did not expect that. I did not expect that. I yeah. thought you were going to be like, and he found in these books a way no. to get himself off using the law. And do you know what? He just fucking, there's he a window in the life. Get out. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and he's saying in these interviews, or this in, this tape, that the window was right there, the fresh air was blowing through it, and he just thought, why not? Fuck it. What are they going to do? The guard was out the front door, out front door of the library, and he just walks, he runs. And so what he did is he ran into the mountains. They closed all the roads in and out of town. Yeah. They climbed up into the mountains and he found a cabin and he hung out there and he was having a great time apparently. He oh was just saying God. he was free and he was he was hungry and cold, but he was like, I was free. I was having a great time. And in these tapes, you're listening to him and he's sounding like he's talking about going on holiday. Like he was like, yeah, I just got out the wind. I took my chance. Air was blowing through and I just went into the mountains and it was just wonderful. And it, What I find so funny about listening to him talking about what he did was he's so blasé. He talks about it like it's just a normal thing. Yeah, just casually. That's what I did yesterday. I just went around the mountains. It's great. And it almost like he wants you to be like, that's really nice. Oh, well done, Ted. Yeah. I kind of feel like I want to go. Escape from prison and run into the mountains. Because of the way he says it, his charisma. He's got the sun power, you know. I'm going to have to watch this properly. Yeah, watch it again. It will blow your mind. So he's caught after six days. He wasn't out for long. And he goes back to jail. And a year later, he unscrews the light fixture in his cell. Oh, my 
God. And because of his mountain spree, he lost loads of weight. Right. And he's so he's lost so much weight that he can actually fit out of this hole in the ceiling. No. Yeah. I mean, for a light fixture, it's a pretty big hole. There's a picture of it. But right, it's okay. still quite a small hole. I definitely would not fit <laughs> like a butt cheek through that, let alone my whole my whole ass. You make it like I just feel like he's like a little snake <laughs> man, like you know, like dislodging himself and squeezing yeah. through things. And he goes through this hole and he ends up in the apartment of the chief jailer, like above. He's in the apartment, he puts on a uniform and he just walks out the front door. <laughs> what the fuck? I know. Like, how? How? He's got a lot of gumption, hasn't he? He does. I mean, that's really resourceful. But also, we've talked about this before. The stars really had to align, you yeah. know, for him. The jailer's not there, there to be a uniform in the right place. That, also a light know, fitting that led like, to a, an apartment in yeah. which you could, and not just some like vent that led to nowhere. Exactly. Like, like out he got into like a toilet or yeah. something. Like, yeah, that that's some kind of karmic synergy. Or like, But perhaps this is why this story, not only obviously because of the horrific things he's done, but also because of just how kind of outrageous it is in some areas it of is. the story. I didn't expect any of this. Like, I knew that he killed a lot of women and he because he was really charming, he was able to do so. But yeah. this is something else. Yeah. So he makes his way to ha- Tallahassee in Florida. He's been in prison for a year, so he's got a quite a big thirst to quench right, when it comes yeah. to his urges. Right, so in his next attack, on January the 15th, 1978, it's 2.45am and he breaks into the Chi Omega sorority house. And within 15 minutes, he attacks four women brutally, breaking the bones, cracking their skulls, knocking their teeth out. He bites the buttock of one woman, cracking collarbones. He's using a um, piece of firewood just to beat beat them. 21-year-old Margaret was hit in the head with firewood and strangled to death with her stockings. 20-year-old Lisa was beaten, raped and killed. And within the hour, Sheriff Ken Kataris is called to the crime scene. Two innocent women are dead and two believed would die. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he this is a friend, like, he, yeah. well, this happened so quickly. Anyway, so they're there at the crime scene and they get another call saying there are strange noises coming from a house six blocks away. So he had beaten another student who was in a pool of their own blood when the investigators arrived. And he was escaping out the back window at this point. But the investigator saw the injured, like saw the injured first and he got away. So he's still on the loose. A few weeks later, he's at it again in Lake City, North Florida. He abducts another 12 year old girl and he dumps her brutalized body in the woods. 12 years old. I know. I think that's it. Like there's not any sort of, you know, a particular age range. You know, he goes for young women, Mm. but like. There's such a vast difference between a 12-year-old and an 18-year-old, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like That's why? where it's, re- you know, yeah. everything is awful, but it's like children. Yeah. You know that he's pure evil for, like, yeah. doing that. And just so callously, like, dumping a body and yeah. stuff. Like. And I mean, he's evil for doing everything that yeah. he does, but I just think... That hits a bit. That is different, because it's... It just hits a bit harder, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So... He then stole a car and made his way west. Three days later, 
On February the 15th, 1978, police stop him for driving suspiciously. Apparently. He needs to get better at this, doesn't he? He does. But they had a feeling. You know, he looks suspicious. They'll pull him over. Seems to do that quite a lot in America. Yeah. Licence and registration. Don't they say that? But they found out his car was stolen. Ah. Ah. So they got him. So he was taken to Leon County Jail in Tallahassee, Florida. And they finally got him. He was in custody for two years and he was locked up this time. <laughs> no escaping. Good. So they lined his cell with armour plate steel sheets. There were no light fixtures he could unscrew and potentially worm his way out of. There were a bunch of different locks all around the door with multiple keys given to multiple officers. So, great. you know, he's, he's in. He's in. When he was arrested, Elizabeth finally left him. Fuck's sake. Like, I mean, he's been in prison yeah. for a little while before. Why is this the, that, the breaking point? I know. But okay. Every, so it's now out of the picture. Each to their own. He is very charming. Okay. Yeah. So he's locked up in Sheriff Ken Kataris's jail. And you can see interviews of Ken. He's a, he's a cool guy. And they're trying to find evidence to prove he is a serial killer. They know it. They just know, but they, but need, they to need to prove it. it. Okay. Right. We've obviously experienced this before in cases. There's just a lack of evidence. You can't pin a crime when there's no evidence. So that's what's frustrating is about this. Is, and they all know. And they know, he's a fucking smug guy. Ted, smart, thinks he knows everything. Lying, in denial. You know, they like, no, we got to get him. So Ken goes up to the cell and says to Ted, it's around the lines of, I think I know what you're doing. Your issue is with your mother. You were born out of wedlock and your mother was withholding who your father is and you've never forgiven her and you're taking it out on other women. Ooh. Ted's eyes blazed with rage and he trashed his cell. So much anger and strength led him to even tearing up a shower that was fixed to the wall. Wow. Like th This was a really big... And then he escaped down the drain and swam away. <laughs> Ken must have really hit a nerve with that, though. That's amazing. Good That's on. Really got him. Go on, Ken. So after that, Ted would then taunt Ken. Apparently, Ted would go call him Ken. Hey, Ken. Like taunting. And I don't know why, but okay. they taunt each other. So he'd go, Ken. The evidence is out there. You just can't find it. There's a lot of antagonising there. And so Ken is like, fuck you, man. I'm going to prove that you're guilty. He has a realisation. Ted had, in fact, left a signature on one of the bodies. It was those bite marks. <gasps> yeah. Oh, Ken. Yeah, yeah. So his next mission was to get an imprint of Ted's teeth. So how do you do that? So at first they gave him fruit. Lots of different fruit to see where they could find the clearest bite mark or bite impression. Apparently other inmates weren't happy that they weren't getting fruit. So Ted was like caught on, oh, okay, got suspicious yeah, and stopped eating the fruit. He's a smart guy. Yeah. This is strange, but also great. They got a search warrant for his mouth. Okay, interesting. Because I was going to say, it's weird that they can't just like go in and make him bite down on like a bit of, you know, like yeah. the dentist thing. Hold him down. Yeah. It is Ted. Human rights, whatever. Yeah. So they put him in a brace so he couldn't escape. Apparently, Ken had invented the Bundy brace. They had these springs in the legs that would just click into place and he couldn't really walk very okay. well. 
who couldn't, so especially couldn't run. And they took him to the dentist. <laughs> yeah. So it was that moment that Ted actually realised they'd sussed him out. Ah. They didn't re- he didn't realise at first that they wanted his teeth print, but then he did. Fuck. Yeah. So they got their bite mark impression and it proved he was the killer. On the 25th of June, 1979, his trial for the two students at the Kayamega sorority house began and the assault of three other women. It was the first national televised trial in America ever. Interesting. Yeah. And on July 24th, 1979, he was convicted on two accounts of first degree murder. He spent 10 years on death row. Because of his knowledge in law, he tried everything he could to appeal the death penalty, which cost about nine million US dollars at the time in trials and appeals. Crikey. Yeah. That's a lot of money back then. It is a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. It's a lot of money now. It's a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money. Where does that come from? The taxpayers. It's just fucking bollocks, isn't it? That they spend that on something like him. But over the course of the 10 years, he confessed to 30 murders. Christ. He's trying to basically do things that will extend... Like to cause Just more fuss, do essentially, to, to, to push push that execution. Out, you know, so he's doing things to complicate matters. But okay. he confessed to live. Yeah. So as the countdown begun for his execution, media and the public went crazy for it. It was like a huge frenzy. Like people were having barbecues, they were having dances, they were having parties, like the Ted Bundy execution party, which is a bit mental. And even local, like even radio stations, were playing the sound of sizzling bacon and saying that. You know, that's Ted. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, I know. I, d- I actually wrote down here, how do you feel about that, Danny? Because it is a bit it is a bit messed up. It's a bit medieval, isn't it? Yeah, like, I get it. But ultimately, like, he's horrible. And he definitely deserves to be punished. And, you know, if that's death penalty or not, whatever. But, like, yeah, I mean... I, you know, it's a bit it's, Roman Colosseum, like it's a bit, yeah, you know, everyone I, gathers round at the gallows. It's a bit, is it in human nature? Sorry. It's that kind of like mob mentality. Yeah, but yeah. is it ingrained in us? Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, I know we know that d- death penalty is not good and it shouldn't be a thing because of, it's just, we shouldn't. But it's just so historically prevalent that kind of approach to when someone's about to get executed that people get excited by it i don't know would it be the same now like would we would we instinctually just be like ah and not help be able to help ourselves i don't know yeah it's weird. i, I don't really, agree with I it really, i really don't know how i feel about all of that i can't think too much on it to be honest because i just i genuinely don't know how my thoughts are on the situation but like to throw a party or like yeah, tailgate I mean, that's, it or whatever. It just feels a bit dark. That, it does. that almost feels a bit like, yeah, I, I, like I think, it gives me the ick. I've got the no, ick about it. Um, I, I think th- I'm, this isn't an agreement, but I think for context, it's uh, it was such a media frenzy and such a big thing at that time just because of how much media coverage he'd had. Yeah. His trial was broadcast all of the women that went missing and that were murdered, all of the families that were destroyed, people hated him. Yeah. And it became, he almost became like a, not a TV personality, but he became somewhat of a celebrity in the news and in the media for being so awful. And, you know, you tie that into his charisma and his good looking and his charm. And I think pair that with all the terrible things he'd done and lives he destroyed 
that it just became such a big deal. So, you know, people were doing stuff like that because they were just like, fuck Ted Bundy, you know? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not no, excusing no. it, but you can... You when can you put of, it like that... You can see... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just very interesting... Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I wonder how that would go down in modern society. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would go down particularly well, especially with social media and all that. Like I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, at 7:16 a.m. on the 24th of January 1989, at aged 42, Ted was executed. It was estimated that he had around 100 victims. Fuck. And there we have it. That is Ted Bundy. That was a lot more. I knew Ted Bundy was a lot, but there was just so much more to that than I thought there um, was. To be honest, we could have sat here for hours talking yeah. about it because that was a very, like, you know, run through mm. of his story. And I've been watching more things to get more context of to who he was. I could have said so much more, not just in terms of, like, what he did, but... All of the added extras and how he would communicate with people and how he would, you know, wiggle his way out of situations and just the way he was in society, just as a person. And just more about, like, the victims, I suppose, and who they were and, you know, what they were going through. And, yeah, it's just it's scary. So I think what scared me the most when I was watching back, at like, listening to his tapes and watching back video footage of him just being interviewed and just being, like, in the public was just, like... He is just a really nice, normal, charming guy that could be anyone. That's the most frightening thing. I think that's always in the back of my mind. Yeah. Like, I was walking, I went to the co-op the other day. Oh, it's not the guy that wanted a sandwich again, is it? No, 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 no. Although if I see him, <laughs> if I see him again, <laughs> he's on my list. Yeah. But um, No, I was just, um, I can't remember, I was just... I think I might have even just took Sylvie for a walk. Oh, yeah, I had to go and get some forms from the post office. Mm -hmm. I was walking back. It was like six in the evening, you know, lovely walk before bedtime. And there was this guy and he was just, he had a lovely dog and I was smiling at his dog and then his dog took a massive shit. Right as I walked past Lovely. It. Yeah, so this guy was like, oh, sorry, you've just got a mouth, like a total face full of that. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I got two at home. Lol, lol. Carried on. And then he sort of just like, we were going in the same direction. And he sort of kind of was like just semi behind me. And so I've stopped. Sylvie really likes to look at trees. So I stopped to let her look at the trees. And, and you know, I was like, I can just let him go ahead of me. And he was just casually making conversation like, oh, how old is she? Me and my wife have a one-year-old. All I had in my head now was... Right, are you going to wait until the path up there before you murder me and steal my baby? No, it's because we do this. Yeah, and it is, it is, it's this. And it's knowing that there's these type of people out there. And he probably was just like, oh, she's a woman by herself and I'm just a guy by myself with my dog. I'm just going to try and make her feel a bit more comfortable. No, and I think that is a thing as well that I've noticed with a lot of male friends, they actively make sure that they don't make women feel uncomfortable, which is quite... I'm it's so sweet. proud of them. Yeah, but like, like sometimes you just can't because by doing no. that, you're just like, why are you talking to me? Just go. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you're telling me about your one-year-old, so I feel more comfortable that you're not going to murder me, but all you're making me do is think that you're still going to murder yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think that this is kind of just an issue that we have as females. You've got stories like this. How many of our victims are female? In Ten. everything that we do is female. Yeah. And also, just generally speaking, I don't know how many times you, in a day 
you preempt potentially having something said to you. Like on my way to my office at the moment, there's building site. Every Ugh. time I walk past that, I think, what would I do if one of them shouted something at me right now? And then yeah. I go, I would call the management up and I would tell them and I would complain every fucking time. And like the other day I was walking down the street and I was carrying my tripod, my right. big one. And I thought, if I got attacked right now, it's fine. I've got my tripod. Yeah. Every time I leave the house, I have a thought like that. Yeah. And that, it's because, no. it's because of this. Yeah. And it is, I think this case in particular is a don't trust men in cars. Don't trust, like, just don't trust. He's the story that, you you know, like the, the chilling bedtime story. Yeah. If we have any male listeners, we do, don't we? We do. We do. Yeah, we do we have male listeners. Do. We know that you're not all bad, but just being inside yeah. the mind of a woman, it is quite scary. Sorry, guys. Yeah. But not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite but, sad that we think these things by default. Well, I do wonder if other men would feel unsafe around some other men. Yeah, probably. Um, oh, no, because I've had this argument with other men before, with men that don't, that men get quite, it knocks their ego a bit. They get a bit like, oh, I'm not all, you know, not all men, blah, blah, blah. But they're like, um, well, you know, I could be out one day and a man could attack me and mug well, me. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't have to think about that all the time. You don't walk down the street and see a man like, coming towards you across the road and think, fuck. Well, maybe they do, but they don't admit it because male bravado. No, but I'm interested. You know, but you know, but yeah. What I'm trying to say is, as females, we have a lot more to fear than men do. Oh no, I'm not. And I had this argument with him about it. I was like, "Well, you're not raised to fear men, or you're not raised to fear your life by how you're dressed, or you shouldn't have been walking down there at that time." Like men just don't have that, do they? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, but we could talk about that. That was a tangent. That was a tangent, but it's still important. And people like Ted is the reason why we're scared. Stupid Ted. Stupid Ted. But he is no longer with us anymore. Giant dick. All his victims were young college girls that had a whole life ahead of them and he just took it away from them. Thoughts are out to all the families that have been affected by that. But that was Ted Bundy. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We'll be looking at Robert Durst. Durst. Sounds like a rock star. Red Durst, that's what you're thinking. Okay, well, he's not a rock star. Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Devils in the Dark. And in the meantime, if you have been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.